Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go. So this morning, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey with me. So I hope that you will join me. We're going to travel through time and space and existence all the way back to when our life began. But first, we're going to pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity, God, to come into your house and to stand here, God, and proclaim your word. God, I know that this message was directed by you because I couldn't do something like this in my own strength. So I thank you, God. I thank you for equipping me right now for your super coming on my natural, helping me be able to deliver this message exactly the way that you would intend it to be. Thank you, Lord, that you give me the right words to say, Holy Spirit, flow through me. Use, use me. Let me be a conduit for you this morning, God. I thank you for life's change. I thank you that every heart is open. It's good fertile ground and the seed that will be planted into it, God, that it will not return void. But God, you will water it and cultivate it and it will grow into a big harvest so we can help others. In Jesus name. Amen and amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, if not, we're going to put it on the screen. I've always, I've been so excited to say that for the last couple of weeks. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. And this one is in the New Living Translation because the Passion Translation hasn't been in, the Gen- in Genesis yet. Like, it's just Psalms and Proverbs in the New Testament. So trust me, we're getting there, but it's my favorite. So, but I like the New Living too because... The New King James and the King James is great. The Amplified is great too. But my mind can't get past the these and nows and thuses and the you, you weathers and I don't know. Like I, I'm really good. Like I don't like to read. Like point blank, I don't like to read. If you know me at all, you know I really don't like to read. Even sometimes being on like Facebook, if I have to read something very long, I'm not going to read it because I don't want to. Like, I just don't want to read. So I really struggle when it comes to reading the word because I don't like to read. And being a minister, that's not a good place to be in because you have to read the word. Being a Christian in general, you need to read the word. So I still, I do it. I do it. I make myself do it every day. I actually have a rule with myself that before I can get on social media, before I can respond to text messages, before I can check my emails, before I do anything on my phone, I have to open the Bible app and read, the, read at least one verse. I have to make myself read one verse, and that's fine. That helps me. It helps get my mind right for the day, no matter what's coming. Now, I need to do more sometimes, but but. I'm satisfied and I know that God is happy if I just get to read that one verse that day. That's okay because I'm making an effort. I'm doing better. I acknowledge the problem within myself and I'm choosing to, you know, to get my life together slowly but surely it's getting there. So, hey, that's better than what I was doing. I'm on a pretty good streak right now and and (laughs) this is another side note. I know we're getting there. We're going to get real started in a second. But has anybody ever heard of the Time Hop app? Okay. Uh huh. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. So Time Hop is this really nifty app, and you can connect your social media accounts to it, and it will pop up every day and remind you, oh, look, you've got like pictures or posts or something that from a year ago, like all oh, this baby Coco last year when he was a newborn and all kinds of things. But at the end of it, it will tell you how many days in a row that you have checked into Time Hop. So 
it has now become a ritual for me pretty much because I am up to 2,038 days. So basically for five years, every day I have looked at this app at least once a day. So that's like, it's a challenge. Now I'm like, hey, I cannot lose my five-year status. It doesn't do anything beneficial for me. I don't get a prize. I don't get a, it's just this cool little ribbon down here at the bottom that says five-year club, whoop. But it doesn't do anything for me. But I don't care if I don't even look at the pictures. I'm going to open that app and all the way to the end so it recognizes that I clicked into it that day and it counts me as another day. So the Bible app on your phone has the same kind of thing. It can count how many streaks, how many days you get on there. So I've been making myself stay on that. So I will be excited when one day I get to the five-year club that I've not missed a single day of being on the Bible app. But here's the thing between those two apps. The Tom Hop app don't do nothing for me, but help me relive the past. But the Bible equips me every day to be able to take on the future. So there is fruitfulness in doing that. So every little change you make is noted. Anyway, completely free. You can edit that out of the podcast if you want to. Anyway, but I've been making myself read the Bible. Um, so when I, was, when I was preparing for this sermon, I was like, okay, so let's, let's see what we find. And I started thinking about mothers. I started thinking about life. And I started thinking, well, where did it all begin? So when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, this is the first time you see the word mother in the Bible. And it says, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And I thought that's very cool. Eve literally was the very first mother in the Bible, the very first one. And literally her name means life. So when God created her out of the rib of Adam and he fashioned her and formed her out of the dirt and dust of the earth, he called her, he breathed life into her and they called her woman, obviously, but then they gave her the name Eve, which means the mother of life. So she is the con, she's also the conduit that Satan used to con Adam into eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and through which sin entered the world. So because of this treason of the highest regard, we know that we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden or they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and Adam was forced to work hard for his money. So hard for it, honey. He works hard for the money, so you better treat him right. I know I changed the words a little bit, but anyway, had to throw that in there. Spontaneous song break. But he had to work hard. He had to, he had to toil and labor hard, the Bible says, in order to make anything of himself. And what happened to Eve? What, what happened with her? She would have to endure tremendous childbearing pain. Thanks, Eve. I mean, Adam just has to work hard and we have to go through this tumultuous thing. Like, really? You couldn't just say no to the serpent? You couldn't just say, hey, Adam, I tasted this fruit, but don't you eat it, okay? Like, it didn't do anything. Don't eat it. No, she's like, here, honey, have a bite because all will be revealed. No, yeah, all was revealed. Daggone it. Like, why on earth? So now we have to continuously as women push forward during childbirth. Now, I personally, I have three children. I personally like being pregnant. That part doesn't bother me. Not everybody around me likes it when I'm pregnant because 
I mean, I can be a little needy when I'm not pregnant. Now, when I'm pregnant, I am needy. And Lindsay says, amen. Oh, that was sweet. You didn't say anything. <laughs> Smart man. Um, but in even the childbearing part of it, the actual labor part, is not pleasant. I will say that. It's not pleasant. But it's not something that I would, that would prevent me from wanting to do that in the future. But, I know, I just said that, sorry. We don't agree on that. He says he's done. I say I need to go one more time, but we'll see what happens. But anyway, so because of what Eve did, now she wasn't the one that God, God did make the commandment between the two of them, but Adam was the head of the household. Sin didn't enter the world until Adam ate. Because Adam was the one that God made the covenant with, that he made the agreement. He's the one that gave the instruction to. So when Adam broke his promise to God, that's why Adam got punished. And I think, personally, I think that the reason why God, this is not a thus saith the Lord, this is a Kelsey Mountain exclusive. I feel like that because she was the one who kind of convinced him to, that he kind of made it a little more difficult for us. Because now, not only do we have to do whatever we do during childbirth, but who takes care of the kid? We do. I mean, there's great dads. Like, Lindsay's an awesome dad. He does a lot more for them some days than I do. But it all falls on us, on those responsibilities. God equipped our bodies to nurse the babies. Now, if you can't nurse babies, this is not one of those you should nurse your baby formula is great fed is best i don't care how you feed your baby fed is best that's that's it we just want happy healthy chunky babies no matter how we have to get them but god equipped our bodies to do those kinds of things because that's what our job was that's what we were supposed to do right but i want to say i want you to look at one thing the most amazing revelation in this is that god never took away her purpose now, he may have added some steps into that, but because she talked to Adam and talked him into it, God didn't look at her any differently. Her name literally means life, and her sole purpose was to replenish the earth. Just because she lost sight of what that identity was for a split second, when the devil filled her head full of lies, doesn't mean that God forgot about her. She, still, she was still the mother of all who live. And God didn't change his mind about her. He still called her Eve. He didn't change her name. You know, a lot of times when situations happen in the Bible, and God will change people's name. Like even Sarah, she went from having an H, or either she had an H on the end of her name and dropped it, or she didn't have an H and added one, one of the two. God even changed her name. But God didn't change Eve's name because he knew what it meant. And she literally was the mother of all life, the mother of all living things, the mother of all the people who live. So see, we try to fit ourselves into a specific box of what we think a woman or what a man is supposed to be. But we're our own worst critics, and we're harder on ourselves than anyone else, because if I cut myself down before you get the opportunity to, then you can't hurt my feelings, right? I can hurt my own feelings and I feel like it doesn't hurt me as bad than when you tell me what you think about me truly. Now, it does hurt our feelings and it builds up on the inside of us. But when God looks at us, he doesn't get distracted by our flaws or mistakes. Notice I didn't say he doesn't see them because God is all knowing and God is all seeing. 
God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere. He sees everything. He sees even when we think that nobody else sees when we're behind closed doors or in our secret place or in seclusion. He sees all of our actions, whether they're right, they're wrong, or they're a little on the line. He sees, he sees all those moments. He sees the moments even when you think that your parents can't see or when you think that you're alone and nobody else in Walmart sees you or, or that you just, you're just in your, your secret place or your quiet closet or just in your room. You think no one's around. God still sees those things, but guess what? He still loves us. In his infinite power and wisdom and grace, he looks past all of those things and he sees a child that he created and he loves unconditionally. A lot of people tend to push towards the idea of talking about a Proverbs 31 woman during Mother's Day. And that's not a bad thing. That's great. I, that's a good chapter to read about what a wife and a, and a woman is supposed to be. This is not that message. Instead, today, I want to challenge you through the leading of the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and see areas where you can grow, where we can grow, whether male or female, where we can all grow. And what things you need to remove from your life in order to pursue the plans and purposes God has for you. See, sometimes we plan out our life one way. And we have these ideas and these thoughts and these things that, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to I'm going to be this kind of person. And and or because I've done this or because I'm doing this, then I will get the benefit of doing that. The problem is we limit ourselves and put ourselves in a box. We make all these agendas and schedules and, and we haven't even consulted God. And honestly, do we even care what God says about those things? Do we really want God's will in our life or do we just want the appearance of God's will and continue to do the things we plan? This makes me think of a woman in the Bible and we're going to talk about her pretty much in depth for the rest of this sermon. Um, but I did just want to say this. When you, that sound just makes my heart like, I just want to run back there and pick him up. Like, that's, that's why I'm a mom, right? Like, he's, he's one of the reasons that I'm a mom. And I love that. I love hearing his little giggle and his laugh because that means he's alive. That means he's healthy. That means he's happy. That means partially I'm doing my job right is being a mom and taking care of him. And he loves his mommy. Mommy is his favorite, but I digress. In thinking about our life and the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, don't neglect the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect what God truly says. Don't get slowed down or hindered or distracted that's the best word to use by what you think God said or what somebody has told you God said or what somebody impressed upon you that you needed to do or this fake idea that that because you've already done this you need to continue to do this you seek God for yourself and you hear from God for yourself. And don't you dare let anybody pressure you into doing something that you don't feel like 100% is from God. Every decision you make, every, especially from here on out after you've hear, heard a word like this, you are accountable for your actions. And when you let somebody else rule and reign over you or make decisions for you or press upon you to go one way or another and it's not from God, God holds you accountable for that. 
He holds them accountable too, but he will hold you accountable for it because you've heard the word and you'll turn your ears away from it and not listen. But see, God has put on the inside of each one of us the ability to hear his voice and to follow him. Well, Kelsey, how do I hear his voice? You have to spend time with him. The only way I know what Lindsay sounds like is because I have pursued time and relationship with him. And I know I can tell his footsteps from anybody else's in the house. I know when he's coming, he does have big feet and they're a little loud. So I know when he's coming versus if it's Drea walking down the hall. Like I know when it's Lindsay The boys can tell when it's their daddy because we've spent time with that. You should be able to feel when God is moving and hear when God is moving and hear what he's speaking to your heart and not have to be distracted by the things around you. And it may not be popular. It may not be popular with everybody else. And the person that you're with, they may be like, I don't believe that. Well, that's okay because I've heard God. I have heard from God and I know what God has said about me. And I know what God has instructed me to do. So we're going to take this journey in talking about this particular woman who had her entire world turned upside down. So if you're taking notes or if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 in the Passion Translation. And it says, during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary. Time out. Does anybody know who Elizabeth is? You're going to find out in just a minute. But one of the things about Elizabeth is Elizabeth was not supposed to be able to have this baby that she is now in the sixth month pregnancy of. You want me to take him for a minute? You sure? I don't mind. Oh, go back. Okay, so the angel, yeah, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Now that part is very important. You remember that. King David, her husband-to-be was, was in the direct lineage of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you. And so you are anointed with great favor. I want God to send an angel to tell me that I'm anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered and, and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. I want God to delight in me. I want him to not to not see me as somebody who doesn't follow him or who sometimes listens to him. I want God to delight in me. I want to find that kind of favor in God. But he said, You will become pregnant with a baby boy. And you are to name him Jesus. So yes, this morning we are going to be talking about that Mary. Here, just let me, I can take him. <laughs> Granny's going to feed him. All right, let's see what script, what verse 32 says. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. So there's David again. He will reign as king of Israel forever and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and almighty God will spread his shadow over 
of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. So see, she wasn't supposed to be, they were referring to her as barren and she was older. So out of her normal childbearing years. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Hold it right there. Go back. So the angel Gabriel said this to her. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Now he's given her this like absolutely earth shattering, crazy news. You're a virgin, but you're about to become pregnant with the son of God. <laughs> what? Like, really? How is that supposed to work? But when she was afraid, he said, don't be afraid. We go on to 38. Then Mary responded. This is important. This is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. So what was her response? I mean, initially, she was completely and utterly shocked. I mean, like an angel literally appeared in her room and was like, hey, what's up, Mary? You think you got these plans for your life? Guess what? Curveball. Things are about to change for you. But she pressed past the fear and uncertainty and said, I accept. Like, this is amazing. I will be the mother of the, for the Lord as his servant. I accept whatever he has for me. How many times have you been in a situation where you've been standing at the, the door of either going forward with something God's spoken to you or going back and you haven't said I accept and you've had to take like 16 steps back? Sometimes it's something as simple as saying, you know what, God, I accept what you have for me. How quick are we to accept the plan of God for our lives? How much convincing does God have to do in order to get us to accept his plan for our life? Mary, the young girl with nothing other than a betrothal to Joseph, was going to birth the Savior of the world. And how did she react? She accepted and said, this is amazing. Like, I'm not so sure that I could do that. Even though I just said that, you know, I liked being pregnant. I enjoyed that process. But I don't know that if God showed up and said something like that to me that I could say, this is amazing. I'd be like, wait a minute. Are you sure you got the right person? But she didn't do that. The, the story continues after her encounter with the angel. And she went on to her Aunt Elizabeth's house. And I know I told you Luke 40 or 146. But hold on, I think I'm going to back it up because God was speaking something to me during worship. I just got to find it. Okay, so I'm going to start reading in verse 39. And you can, if you got it, you can put it up there. If not, I'll do it on my phone. So verse, uh, verse 39, it says, Afterward, Mary arose and hurried off the, to the hill country of Judea, to the village where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Perfect. Keep going. Arriving at their home, Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. 
At the moment she heard Mary's voice, the baby within Elizabeth's womb jumped and kicked, and suddenly Elizabeth was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Now, hold on. This is one of the first times we see in the Bible where somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just because somebody laid hands on them and somebody was speaking in tongues or something like that. She had no idea what was happening. In this moment, all she knew was that Mary was coming to visit her. She didn't know Mary was pregnant. She didn't know Mary was going to have the son of God in the natural. But when Mary walked in and she spoke and greeted Elizabeth, the baby on the inside of Elizabeth jumped and it caused Elizabeth to be filled with overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Go on. With a loud voice, she prophesied with power, Mary, you are a woman given the highest favor and privilege above all others. For your child is destined to bring God great delight. How did I deserve such a remarkable honor to have the mother of my Lord come and visit me? The moment you came in the door and greeted me, my baby danced inside me with ecstatic joy. Great favor is upon you, for you have believed every word spoken to you from the Lord. And Mary sang this song. Okay, we're going to talk about this part in a second. But keep backing up to that last verse. The moment you came in the door and greeted me, my baby danced with me or inside me with ecstatic joy. Now, if you don't know who this is, Elizabeth is the mom of John the Baptist. And this baby that was on the inside of her was John the Baptist. Now, he wasn't John the Baptist at that point. He was just John. He actually didn't even have a name at that point. But... The fact that he, what's cool is that John, has anybody seen The Chosen? This this, this TV series. Okay. So when you watch it in depth, it's really good. I totally, I'm not sponsored by them, but this podcast or this message could be sponsored by The Chosen. If they wanted to at me, I would be totally happy with that because we love The Chosen in our house. Even the boys do. But when when we watch The Chosen and... They, they refer to John the Baptist as creepy John because John the Baptist lived in the wilderness after he was born and raised and whatever. He separated himself to the wilderness. He knew he had a call of God on his life. And until his preaching ministry began, he stayed in the wilderness seeking after God and praying. And he ate locusts and honey and things like that to survive. And so when he came back into the real world scene, he looked a little weird and he kind of, you know, wasn't used to being around a lot of people. So they called him Creepy John is what they call him in the Chosen series. But anyway, so this is Creepy John's mom that's talking here. But what's crazy is John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, but they were close. And they loved each other with a fierce passion and a fierce love. But John's sole purpose was to go before Jesus, which is why he was older, and to proclaim the way of who Jesus was. And to talk to people about the Savior, the Messiah was coming. John knew who Jesus was. John knew the assignment on Jesus' life. But John didn't dare tell people who Jesus was until after the appointed time that God recognized him when John actually baptized him. But I just thought it was cool that in that moment, Elizabeth knew instantly. She knew, Mary, you have been chosen. How, how awesome is it that you have come to my house? How, how do I deserve the honor of the mother of our Savior to come into my house and to sit with me? Like, how did she know that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit? 
The Holy Spirit gave her that revelation. Now we can tie back into our, my original part of what we were going. Um, so Mary didn't hide in shame or worry, but we find out what she did when she got to Elizabeth. It says, and Mary sang this song. My soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit bursts with joy over my life-giving God. For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl, and from here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. The mighty one has worked a mighty miracle for me. Holy is his name. Mercy kisses all of his godly lovers from one generation to the next. Mighty power flows from him to scatter all those who walk in pride. Powerful princes, he tears from their thrones, and he lifts up the lowly to take their place. Those who hunger for him will always be filled, but the smug and self-satisfied he will send away empty, because he can never forget to show mercy. He has helped his chosen servant, Israel, keeping his promises to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Can you back it up two verses? Go forward one. This one. Okay. He can never forget. Verse 54. He can never forget to show mercy. There are so many times in my life when situations happen and people get on my nerves <laughs> or people do mean things to me. And mercy is not the first thing that comes to my mind. I couldn't imagine being God. And how people do him wrong every day and they say the wrong things about him and they have the misconceptions about him. But the fact that that Mary in the moments after she has found out that she has become the one to be the chosen one to bring forth the savior of the world. And it's been confirmed through Elizabeth. I cannot. She immediately her response is praises and thanksgiving and excitedness and the fact that she calls him a merciful God. He never forgets to show mercy. Don't forget that in your life. You are not God. Sometimes we forget to show mercy, but God will never forget to show mercy to you. No matter what mistake you make, no matter what bad decisions you do, we tell the boys this. Lindsay started it, and now I've taken it in different things. But we do this thing. They do this thing called the bedtime blessing. And in the bedtime blessing, one of the things that Lindsay does is he sits with them and he says, look me in the eyes. Of course, now they know it and they try to beat him to all the things, but we're, he just still does it. Look me in the eyes. Do you see my eyes? And he's there like, yeah, okay, I see your eyes. And he says, do you know that I love you no matter what good things or bad things that you do? And they go, yeah. Well, who else loves you that way? And they say, God. He's like, yeah, that's right. God loves you that way. He never forgets to show us mercy. So no matter what good things you do or what bad things you do, it doesn't change the way that God feels about you. He still sent his Savior, to, his son to die on the cross as your Savior. So now she didn't cower away. She actually began to sing prophetically about how ecstatic she was that God had chosen her to do this. But now we're going to fast forward a little bit to the night or to the time when Jesus was born. So Mary gave birth in a <laughs> granny's on in here, I could say. Mary gave birth in a freaking barn. 
okay like it was a barn like it may not have even been a barn it was probably like an open-aired stable more like you know mary gave birth to jesus in a place where there was cow poop other animal feces and she had she handled it like a boss now i don't know about you mary understood her assignment because i love my kids but I ain't giving birth to them nowhere other than the hospital. I ain't, I ain't gonna be out in no open aired stable. I ain't gonna be where the cows are mooing or the horses are galloping or the sheep are bleating or whatever they do. I ain't about to do that because I need, the, I need an epidural. I need all the doctors and nurses on standby. I need help and I need somebody to catch Lindsay if he passes out. Thankfully, 3N, he's not passed out yet. He actually is like, well, this is so cool. I'm like, okay. <laughs> the first time, the total side note, uh-huh. The first time when we were, and I was in labor with Kellen, right when I was, we were getting ready to push, the doctor noticed that Kellen's heart rate had dropped and my heart rate went up. And so they put... Um, oxygen on me to try to help get enough oxygen to him as we were as I was delivering him the reason why we know now is when he was delivered he had the cord wrapped around his neck so he was in the process of um not being able to breathe however he didn't ever like lose all the oxygen or it didn't ever like suffocate him or anything like that or choke him because my mom said it was the coolest thing that as his head came she immediately unwrapped the cord around him and he was fine totally good like he wasn't blue he wasn't nothing like that but now we know why so anyway the doctor put oxygen on my face and was like okay so in between contractions i need you to breathe deep in this oxygen and she said Lindsay, your job is to make sure she gets enough oxygen. He's like, okay. So we're pushing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, rest, mama. Now take deep, breathe in that oxygen. Breathe in that oxygen. Now the doctor was really nice because what she really meant by breathing that oxygen was, hey, husband, put it on her face, put the mask on her face because it would be up here on my forehead, down on my chin, over here on my ear. It was never over my mouth. I'm literally chasing it like this. I can't breathe. Like, I need the oxygen. And he's just like fascinated. Whoa, this is epic. This is so cool. Good. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, okay, and it'd be time for another contraction, so they'd have to take the oxygen, and I would, you know, go through that process again, and then the same thing, it would be time to take a breather or a rest, and she'd be like, okay, Miss Melton, just breathe in that oxygen, deep, big breaths of the oxygen, 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 oh, here comes another contraction, too late, basically, so anyway, once everything was over, the words that were uttered out of Lindsay's mouth were, wow, good job, babe. And I was like, I almost died. <laughs> That's a little dramatic, but I didn't almost die. But still, like, he got distracted in that moment. And that's okay. But see, that's why I couldn't give birth in a barn in the yuck because <laughs> I need all the doctors and nurses. I need all the help I can get because I am not about to do this on my own. But Mary didn't have that. She didn't even have a midwife to help her. She had to, her and Joseph had to do it all on their own. But she understood that assignment was to have that baby. She didn't panic. 
when it was time to wrap him in swaddling clothes and lay him in a feeding trough. That's what a manger was, was a feeding trough. She didn't panic. She didn't lose her cool. She didn't like freak out or lay down and say, I can't do this. I can't do this. She, she handled it like a boss. She knew nothing. She knew that nothing about her journey was going to be easy, but she chose to walk it out anyway. And in that moment, her whole life changed. Not only was she just pregnant with the Savior of the world, now she had to raise him. She had to take that on. Sometimes as parents, it's hard because we, we're like, okay, it's our responsibility to raise these kids. And sometimes we don't know if we've done a good job or not. I couldn't imagine having the pressure on me to raise the Savior of the world. But at the same time, yes, Jesus has already come, but our children are so important that they are little Jesuses in the world not that they're going to save the world but that they have been equipped with the same miracle working power that resided on the inside of jesus and given the same instructions on their life to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature to go in the highways and the byways and the ditches and and pull people up to a revelation of who god is and to walk out and be his hands and feet in this earth so it's just as important for us to carry out our responsibilities whether we're parents whether we're teachers whether we're just aunts uncles cousins friends whatever it is it's our responsibility to cultivate that relationship on the inside of these children and give them an example of who God is and what God says to do and how we're supposed to follow hard after God and what to do when circumstances arise and we don't cower down and we don't get frustrated and quit but we press through we can't let our anxiety rule us we can't let depression have a take on us and have a hold in our life because we have to keep moving forward because God has need of us and if God has need of us then we still have breath in our lungs when God is finished with us there will be no breath in our lungs but while we are still alive on this earth we have got to keep pushing and we have got to be the example to show them I can't quit because my kids have to see who God is through me to be able to know who God is to them and to be able to experience God for themselves and to be able to help other people know who God is even though there are going to be hard times, we have to keep going. So she now gave birth to him. Now what? You got to raise him. Like, could you also imagine now all these random people are showing up at your house? <laughs> or wherever you're at. See, we get the pictures of like the three wise men and the shepherds showing up at the stable where Jesus was. But I don't think Mary and Joseph lived in that stable for five years because some of the people that came to bring him gifts, they didn't come till Jesus was like two years old. Like he wasn't a little bitty baby like we like to see at Christmas time and, you know, the, the nativity set when they're all huddled around him. That's a great idea to look at, but that's not accurate. So I don't think they were still in that open aired stable when they came to visit. But could you imagine? OK, so who are you and state, state what business you have with my son? Because she knew at that point Herod had heard 
had caught wind that there, the Savior was born. That's what the, the shepherds and the wise men had, were telling people because they experienced the greatness of God and the, the skies filled with angels telling them glory to God in highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men because tonight to you a Savior has been born. All of those great things. And they told people because they were excited. But when that got back to King Herod, he said, wait a minute, I'm the king. Ain't nobody, uh-uh, kill all the babies under two. All the male babies, kill them. So Mary knew that. So could you imagine? Now it's not just, okay, I have to raise him. Now I have to keep him alive until his designated time to die. Because she knew. She knew that he came to die. She knew what the scripture had said. She knew what the prophecies had said before. That the one who was chosen to be savior would have to come and die for our sins. To, to replace that covenant between us and God, to repair the damage that was done during the first sin that Adam committed. So she knew that one day he was going to die, but she knew it wasn't now. So here she is having to, okay, what, do you, what business do you have with my child? That would be my mindset at least. Like, well, hold up, wait a minute. I, I don't know who you are, so you ain't getting nowhere near my kid until I vet you out. Because my kid is too precious to me to just let anybody come around and have access to them. So I couldn't imagine knowing that everybody knew or starting to know who he was and how she was going to have to protect him. So we fast forward to another milestone in young Jesus's life. Luke chapter 2 verses 41 through 52 and we're in the Passion Translation. This one's kind of funny. So... (laughs) Basically, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. We're going to read about it. So after being separated from him for three days, the him they're talking about is Jesus. For three days, they finally found him in the temple, sitting amongst the Jewish teachers, listening to them and asking questions. So they were all together. And then when they traveled back in those days, it wasn't just your little family. Like it wouldn't just be my melting party of five traveling. It would be like Melton Party 5 plus Nana and G-Daddy and Drea and, and all the aunts and uncles and cousins, like everybody, probably Granny, DeShader and Ashley, like DJ, all his, we'd all be traveling together. Like a whole big bunch of us would be, a, a village basically would travel together. So in their mind, when they left, they didn't necessarily see Jesus right there with them. But they thought he was just with the family members. He wasn't. So 47 says, all who heard Jesus speak, because he was in the temple, all who heard Jesus speak were astounded at his intelligent understanding of all that was being discussed and at his wise wise answers to their questions. His parents were shocked to find him there in the temple, and Mary scolded him, saying, son, your father and I have searched for you everywhere. We have been worried sick over not finding you. Why would you do this to us? Jesus said to them, Why would you need to search for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be here in my father's house consumed with him? What? Mary and Joseph didn't fully understand what Jesus meant. Jesus went with them back home to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured Jesus's words deeply in her heart. As Jesus grew, so did his wisdom and maturity. The favor of men increased upon his life, for he was loved greatly by God. But I want to say, the New King James Version says that a little bit differently, and I love it. It's <laughs> when Mary asked him, son, she scolded him, son, oh, why would you do this to us? Like, I would be the same way. I'd be like, uh, I could see this happening out of the three of our kids. It would be Kenan. This would happen. Kenan would just be missing. And I would, dude, like, 
why would you do that? Like, why would you just like disappear? Why would you just walk away? Why would you stay at the temple? You knew we were living or leaving. And Jesus's response in the New King James Version. He says, did you not know I'd be about my father's business? Bruh, first of all, don't you clap back and meet like that. Like, don't say that to me. I'm your mama. Like, yeah, you must be about your father's business, but your father better come stop me right now because you about to get hands laid on you. Don't talk to me like that. I'm your mama. But Mary didn't do that. Mary was kind of stunned. Her and Joseph were like, uh, okay. They didn't really know what to say. But then the Bible, the next scripture says that he went back to them and he was obedient to them. Which means <laughs> he followed all the rules and he didn't do anything like that again for sure. But not only did he follow the rules, but he gave them an example for everybody else on how to live. Because see, Jesus knew what his job was. Jesus knew that one day he was going to die for the sins of the world. But Jesus lived a life to show us that we can live according to God's word and still do great things for God and still be able to participate and do things. It didn't say Jesus locked himself away or that Mary and Joseph locked him away in the temple and didn't let him out till he was 30 years old. No, Jesus was amongst the regular people and it actually says that Jesus found great favor with them which means that people liked him, which means that people trusted him, which was a big part of who, why he was able to do everything he was able to do. So finally, we're going to take a look in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. So at this point, Mary has done everything that she has been equipped to do for Jesus. She has birthed him, she carried him, birthed him, raised him. And now it's her turn to watch him die. I could not imagine as a mom having to witness what she witnessed happen to her son. But she handled it with grace. This is the apex of his whole life. This is the moment that he was born for. This is when he died for our sins. But how on earth did Mary feel? Verse 25 says, Mary, Jesus' mother, was standing next to his cross along with Mary's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Bunch of Marys. So when Jesus looked down and he saw the disciple he loved standing with her, he said, which the disciple he loved was John. Mother, look, John will be a son to you. And then he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. And from that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. That's awesome that he prepared somebody to take care of her because back then the mother lived with you. <laughs> Once you grew up and got out, like they lived, they all lived together and they took care of each other. That was their responsibility. You know, your parents raised you and then now it's your turn to take care of your parents. But he wasn't going to be there to take care of her anymore. And what was, he, what was the last thing that he did for her that was he found somebody to take care of her. He charged John, the disciple who he loved, to take care of her. Now, one the theological perception that I read about this said that 
after Jesus died on the cross, now we all know that he went in the he went in the tomb and he went to hell and he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again on the third day. But Mary only lived for about a year after all of that happened with Jesus, is what one account says. What's powerful to me about that is that literally her entire existence was wrapped up in who Jesus was. That was the whole sole purpose for Mary to be born on this earth, was to birth, raise, and take care of a Savior. Now, we don't know what happened in that, but for the remainder of her life, she stayed with John, and John did take care of her. But as a mom, I couldn't imagine raising my son knowing that his entire existence in life was to free the world from heaviness and burden of sin and reunite believers into that perichoresis, that circle dance that we've been talking about. That was Jesus's sole purpose is to is to reunite us. So in closing, we we don't get the opportunity to just stop living Mary didn't just stop and get in her feelings and try to keep Jesus to herself she wasn't selfish and at the end of the day she shows us that when we submit to the plan of God for our life that it won't always be convenient it will definitely be hard but even though there are going to be hard times we have got to keep going if you don't get anything out of this message this morning you have to remember you can't stop when circumstances come, when health issues arise, when people leave your life, when death happens, when, when friends are nowhere to be found, you cannot stop. You don't get the luxury of just stopping. There are going to be tough, tough times and hard times, but you have got to keep going. You have got to keep going. And I know Mother's Day is very hard for some people. I have a great mother. And my mom, I don't, for most of my adult life, I have not lived close to my mom. And that's very difficult for me. And here I am getting emotional and that sucks. But I love my mom. My mom is my best friend outside of Lindsay. Me and my mom have been through a lot together. She's one of the only ones besides Lindsay that knows literally every detail of my life. <laughs> because we have just always had that relationship um, even when it was just totally in a transparent moment, when I went to college, uh, um, I wasn't living right for God. And my mom would send me scriptures every week in the mail because <laughs> this was back before we had cell phones. But that's when you had a lot of like texting limits and like, you know, things like that. But in class or in college, we had our own little post office and we had our own little mailbox assigned to us with all of our just just mail that would come directly to just us. And so my mom thought it was cool to send me a letter pretty much every day or at least every week in the mail. I got to the point that I didn't want to hear what she had to say because I knew she didn't like the way that I was living and I knew she didn't like the things that was going on with me and I wouldn't talk to her about them because I knew what she was going to say. So it created this wall between me and her because she didn't agree with the things I was doing and I wouldn't talk to her. 
So literally I went two weeks without speaking a word to my mom. I would call my dad and check in. Honestly, I would call my dad and ask for money and my dad would always give me money whenever I asked. Not that they just had plenty of money, but he just wanted, I'm an only child, so I was a little spoiled. But he wanted to make sure that I was taken care of and he wanted to make sure that I knew that, hey, you always got us if you need us. But I went two weeks without talking to mom. I would call on purpose when she wasn't around or I would message dad or I'd call him while he was at work and he'd be like, have you talked to your mom? I said, no, and I don't want to talk about it. And so he wouldn't push it because he didn't want to push me any further away. However, those are some of the moments that I regret the most in my life because I didn't know what mom was sending me, but I didn't want to hear her uplifting words about how good God was because in all honesty, the reason I was in that mindset was because I just went through this tumultuous breakup with the guy that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with who turned out to be nothing more than a turd for lack of better words. Somebody who ended up changing every single thing that I thought I was and making me think I was somebody different. Pulled me completely away from my family, separated me, tried to drive a wedge in between me and my family. I literally, I love the New York Yankees. I don't love them as much now because I don't watch a lot of baseball and because this is kind of a sore subject with me. But for my graduation gift, my parents bought me tickets to go see the Yankees. And that was back when Derek Jeter was still playing and A-Rod was still on the team and Jorge Posada was playing, Hideki Matsui. They had everybody, all of the greats that were awesome back when I was a kid and I loved watching them play and I was so fascinated with them. And I didn't go because my boyfriend at the time, who I thought was going to spend the rest of my life with, was going on vacation to the beach and I was going with his family. So my parents went, but they couldn't even go into the game because they just didn't have the heart to do it. Because they, because that was what they were supposed to be doing with me. Truth be told, I went with them on vacation with my ex-boyfriend. At the, he was I actually at that time was my ex-boyfriend. We weren't even together. But because I was, had this so warped mentality of who he made me think I was. I chose to go along with every single thing he wanted to do just to make him happy, just because I didn't want to lose him, because he made me believe that false negative or narrative about myself. He made me believe that I was who he wanted me to be, but at the same time, he would turn around and, and tell me after I would leave his presence that I was nothing to him and that I was nobody and that he would rather be with somebody else than be with me. And he would pressure me into doing things and taking our physical relationship just too far. We got too comfortable and too close with being alone with each other that it got us in trouble. And then there goes my heart attached to him because I made those, those mistakes and those decisions. So when I left home, I was like, I'm done. Like I've done messed up. I've done, done things that I said I was never gonna do. God don't love me. Where is God? <laughs> so I use the excuse that I grew up in a, in a tongue-talking, spirit-filled church and that the college that I went to was a Baptist denomination college and there was no tongue-talking, spirit-filled church, so I wasn't going to church. So for the whole semester that I was there, I didn't go to church one time. 
unless I was going home. I, did, I got to the point I didn't even want to go home on the weekends because my parents were going to make me go to church and I didn't want to hear what that little preacher had to say. What's really funny is that little preacher is actually how I met Lindsay. So all of these things were working behind the scenes. But I chose to get myself out of union with God and union with the authority that God had put in my life with my mom. So when I was in college, I went without talking to her because I didn't want to hear the words coming out of her mouth because I knew they were going to be from God. And I just didn't want to hear it because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel accepted by God. I didn't feel like I was in the perichoresis, that circle dance with him. All while God is saying, hey, psst, I still love you. I've still called you. I still have a purpose for your life. You've not gone too far that you can't turn around and come back to me because I'm just right here waiting for you. There's no mistake that you can make in life that I cannot forgive you from because I've already prepared that for you. I've already sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Hey, you can come home to me at any time. You can come home to me. I love you unconditionally. Your emotions are a mess right now. That's okay. Let me put you back together. Don't believe the lie that some boy has told you that who you are. Let me put you back together. Let me tell you who I've called you to be. I've called you to be a daughter of the Most High King. I've called you to stand on your own two feet and to proclaim and prophesy to the nations about who God is. I've called you to love people with an unconditional love. I've called you to witness to people and to tell people that even when you make a mistake, that it's okay. Even when you think that you're in a relationship that you're supposed to be in, it's okay to leave it. It's okay to turn around and it's okay to pursue God with your whole heart. I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for you. I'm here to tell you that God has a purpose for your life. And I'm here to tell you that there is nowhere that you can run and nowhere that you can hide, that there is not a God that loves you unconditionally that will reach his arms around you and there is absolutely nothing in your life that he cannot take a hold of and change and minister to you and love you and change your heart about but you have to be open don't settle for the status quo of what you think your life is supposed to look like or the idea or dream that you thought that you were supposed to have about something you press forward and you find what God has for you as women, sometimes we just cower down to what we think a man is supposed to want or desire. But baby, <laughs> that's not the times we live in right now. And that's not the way that God instructed it to be because behind every man, there is a woman speaking in his ear, even back in the biblical days. Now, you can't tell me that there wasn't a time when somebody come home from something and the wife was like, I wouldn't do that. Or let me tell you what I heard in the market and try to change the narrative behind the scenes. Because as women, we like to talk. We do. Women been talking forever. But don't you let the devil try to silence your voice. Don't you let him tell you that you aren't smart enough or that you're not strong enough to speak the things that God's told you to speak. Everything on the inside of you is from God on the inside, in your spirit. And I know Mother's Day is hard for some people because your mom's not here. And I don't understand that. I've never experienced that. And I am so sorry that you've had to walk through that. And I'm so sorry that today is a day that can almost seem like a burden. Though we share that burden with you. We walk through that with you because we love you. And it doesn't seem fair at times because you look around and you, 
you all have the, the future ahead of you. And sometimes it may not seem fair because your mom's not here to experience that with you. But in that void that you feel, that can only be filled with God. It can't be filled with a man. It can't be filled with things of this world. It has to be filled in the presence of God. And it is okay to hurt. We have preached our whole lives that our emotions are our enemy. And that's one of the one of the characteristics in even charismatic churches is your emotions are your enemy. Don't be ruled by your emotions. Yeah, we're not allowed to be ruled by our emotions, but our, our emotions are not our enemy. We have to acknowledge our emotions in order to be able to process them, in order to overcome our emotions. But you can't say they're your enemy because if they're your enemy, you're not going to have anything to do with them. And when we ignore our emotions, we push them down and suppress them. And then what do they do? They bubble up and they explode one day. But we have to, we have to accept our emotions. Well, not accept them. We have to press through our emotions. Acknowledge them. Let God heal them. I had somebody one time. It was actually, <laughs> it was Dreamer. Lindsay it was Miss Dreama and this was back before I met Lindsay this was actually right when I was coming out of um, that season of life in college that I was just talking about and I went to church with my mom to that little preacher that I didn't like and there was a prayer line and I just felt like I needed to go up God was working on me and when I went up I just started crying you know, it's okay to do that when we feel the presence of God. It's okay. Man, woman, it don't matter. Cry if you got to. Because there is, she told me something that I will always remember, that there is a healing ministry in your tears. Sometimes we have to let things come out of us and process. And sometimes as a woman, especially, or just even, even a man, even Kenan, he is emotional. And I love it. All of my children are emotional. But they, they cry. And when we cry, there's a release in that. And there's a way sometimes we just need to cry. Sometimes we got to just cry it out and we're going to feel better. And that's okay. When I get real mad, sometimes I got to cry and just to get it out and I'm going to feel better. And that is not a negative thing for us to have. That is a positive thing because that means we're dealing with it. But there is a healing ministry in that because it, there is a scripture in the Bible that says that God catches, he counts, and he knows all of our tears. Every tear that you cry is not in vain. It serves a purpose. And the only thing that you can do when life smacks you right in the forehead with circumstances and controversy and problems is you may have to cry it out, but you got to pick yourself up. And you got to remember that it's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be rainbows and sunshines and roses and chocolates, but it's sometimes going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be, hey, where did Jesus go? I lost him for three days and I don't know where he's at and I'm panicked and I got to find him. And that might be you in your life. You might be like, hey, I don't, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how I'm supposed to get through this. I don't know where to go. But God is saying to you this morning, just trust me. Just trust me. Let me have your emotions. Let me have your heart. Let me have all of your problems, all of your fears, all your frustrations. And let me touch you. Let me heal you from the inside out. And it's not always something that's going to happen immediately. But it can be a start. Sometimes it's just as simple as a shifting in your mind. 
that will cause you to do and look at things a little differently. But it will be something that will carry you through the rest of your life. God is a good God. And that's not just something that we say in church. If Mary can stand at the foot of the cross of Jesus and look up on his body beaten and mangled and still say God is a good God, then we can face anything that we have in life and still say God is a good God. Every problem, every circumstance, every situation, it has an expiration date. Don't prolong it. Don't just sit and and deal with your problem or your pain because it's comfortable. Get out of it. 